Hi, this is Drew Mahorek, Strategic Partnerships at Outmatch, and you're listening to The Sassholes. Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. Jamie, Jason, and Pete are more than happy to share their knowledge of finance, sales, and marketing with you. Please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Hey, and if you really, really like us, buy us a beer on Patreon. What do you say? Today, we're joined with very special guest, Drew Mahorek, Strategic Partnerships at Outmatch. Before we get to Drew and squeeze his brain, speaking of brains, we have an ad. This episode is brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Hey, athletes, get a doodle of your noodle, a brain map, before the season starts, so you have a baseline to compare it to. You get a physical every year, right? Well, get a brain map, check up before the season starts. Visit NeuroNoodle.com. Drew. Welcome to the show. Please tell us about yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pete. Well, I think the most interesting thing about me is that I'm a digital nomad. I live a location-independent lifestyle, so I don't have a permanent address. Uh, I've been doing this since late 2017, so mostly abroad. Obviously, COVID has affected that somewhat. Happy to get into that if it's of interest, but um, Professionally, I am about a decade into my career. I've worked in consulting. I've worked in strategy and product uh, within startup environments. I've worked in sales, a little bit of marketing with Jason uh, while he was at Outmatch. And I currently work within strategic partnerships, which I'm sure we'll get into a bit today. Well, tell us a little bit about Outmatch for the uh, new listeners that don't, don't know about the company. Absolutely. So Outmatch is an HR tech, a recruiting tech company. And what we do is we help organizations make strong people decisions by using more objective processes and how they assess candidates, how they interview candidates, how they conduct reference checks. So it's all driven through like behavioral assessments, cognitive assessments, various ways of getting to understand who is this person, um, what kind of environments will they thrive in. We're about 300 employees today. We've got a presence, obviously, in the U.S. We're based out of Dallas, but we're pretty remotely dispersed and acquired a company out of Amsterdam uh, about two months ago, which has really strengthened our international footprint as well. Okay. Digital nomad. That's that's a pretty cool term. What is that? Yeah, sure. Um, It basically just means our work is something that can be fully done through an internet connection, right? There's no need to be physically present uh, in the workforce uh, to do your job. And obviously a lot of people are now familiar with that concept or more familiar after what COVID has done for us slash to us the past uh, 18 months. But um, it's a, a term that started to get popular about a decade ago by Tim Ferriss in the four hour work week. That was kind of the first time it went mainstream. And it's a lot of folks that do freelance work, some folks that do it with a stable job and everyone kind of customizes the lifestyle to their own needs. Some people travel all the time. Some people travel three months of the year, nine months of the year, whatever suits their lifestyle. And how long have you been at Outmatch? I worked with Outmatch. uh, So I was acquired 
into the company. I was with a six person startup in San Francisco um, and Outmatch bought us in late 2017. And so I worked with Outmatch from then till early 2020. And last year I actually branched out, spent some time trying to build my own business. Uh, wasn't able to get it off the ground and ended up returning to Outmatch earlier this year. Strategic partnerships. That sounds really cool too. What is that? Yeah, it is fun. It's kind of a position that sits, it's cross-functional position, sits in between sales and marketing, um, customer success, engineering and product, where it's any, it encapsulates anything that works um, with like technology partners that we would integrate with outside of our direct technology that we serve to clients. So a lot of applicant tracking systems help organizations manage all of their candidates that are applying. And we have services that help with evaluating candidates. So we'll often integrate with other applicant tracking systems to make that smooth. And so strategic partnerships is a little bit about maintaining those relationships, seeing how we can improve the integrations, work more closely with our partners. Um, There's also channel management, which channel sales is basically anything that's not uh, your direct sales team going straight to the customer. So that could be working with um, consultants or other companies that are referring you business or that are actually trained up to resell your technology into their clients where they already have a strong relationship and trust. And then the final piece is um, very large partnerships that could be, you know, a half a million or a million dollar type deal where there's um, a lot of overlap between the two companies. And that could be something where, you know, maybe you're interested in potentially acquiring that business someday. Maybe you are, um, you know, looking at ways to get into a different part of the industry outside of your core competency. So anything where there's uh, similarities between two companies that can um, benefit both sides. So it's pretty creative and open. We have uh, June graduates that are coming into the workforce and they see a job posting that says strategic partnerships. Mm-hmm. Give, give give these graduates an idea what a day in the life looks like. Do they even start at that level? I know it depends on the company and you know mm-hmm. the titles and whatnot, but uh, give, give us a day in the life, a week in the life. Sure. Yeah. So the partnerships role really depends on the type of company. Like it'll be very different in a consumer facing or B2C business versus a B2B company. The day in the life for an entry level uh, partnerships position would be typically more like an account management type role where there are existing partnerships and you're coming in to nurture those relationships, understand the needs of the customer, how the business can improve the relationships and keeping them happy by figuring out how the business can continue to deliver more value. Um, And so that is a lot of time on the phone, of course, Uh, time collecting resources, finding case studies and different materials like PowerPoints uh, that you can provide to those partners to help them understand how to use the technology, how to be successful selling it. Um, So it's very much like a kind of like a sales enablement type function, but for folks external to the business. So somebody new that's coming in or say, hey, is this a sales role? What do you tell them? Uh, yes and no, right? Uh, it's a, it is salesy. Uh, there are certainly sales components. I'd say what's different is it's a little bit more project management oriented. There's more project type work than you would have in a typical sales or account management position. Um, so it's good if you want to be cross-functional. You know, you get exposure to a lot of different parts of the company because 
partnerships touches pretty much every department. Would it be like uh, the old business development role or the new business development role? There are aspects of business development as yeah. well. So going out and seeking who are strategic partners that we could work with that we aren't working with today. Um, so that's certainly a component. And um, yeah, especially for smaller startups, that's going to be a lot of the work, right? You might not have any partnerships. You might have just a few. Um, so you're looking at how can we replicate what we're having success with today and find more relationships like that. When you went out and branched out on your own, then COVID hit, right? Yep. Not the best timing. Not the best timing, you know, Uh, but you still ventured out, you know, you gave it a shot. You probably give it another shot again. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's just say COVID didn't happen. All right. What made you want to go branch out? And if COVID didn't happen, how would you have built up your business for, for the people out there that are looking to branch out to get away from their career and start something on their own? Absolutely. Well, I'm certainly not the expert, but I have been in entrepreneurial environments since I was 18, 19 years old in undergrad. So I always have known I want to run my own business. And a lot of my career decisions in jumping around and getting different experiences and different types of roles has been through the um, motivation to acquire different skill sets um, so that I could be successful someday with running my own company. And so the business I actually wanted to start was more of a personal development retreat type company, which obviously bringing people together for retreats was the, the worst possible timing with COVID breaking out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had obviously committed to that before we knew sure. uh, what was happening with the pandemic. But um, I think that what I would advise others and what I advise myself going forward is always just I work backwards from what do I want my lifestyle to be? So similar to how I ended up being a digital nomad. I love being in different environments all the time, having new experiences, new people. And so with designing my work lifestyle, I'm thinking about how do I, what, what do I want to spend my brain cells thinking about? What are the problems I want to solve? What are the conversations I want to have from nine to five or whenever you work? And I think that working backwards from that and then, thinking, okay, what are the steps to get me to that point is always the right starting point. And then the most important thing is listen to the market, like pay attention to where's the actual opportunity, because it's easy to design the type of business that you want to run. um, But if there's not a market for it, you're going to struggle to get it off the ground. So it's a, a balance of, you know, what do I want versus what does the market want? And over the uh, last 10 years, um, obviously the pandemic hit, Zoom has taken off. Obviously, I'm recording it now on the podcast. I mean, it's not the greatest sound quality, but I mean, it's pretty easy to use. What, what, I, what have you seen change in the last 10 years to be a digital nomad that has helped? Uh, have you always used Zoom to use something else? Uh, what have you noticed out there? It's never been easier to live a location-independent lifestyle with how technology has been evolving. Um, I would say even more than video conferencing tools, uh, what's made it more accessible is services like Uber and Airbnb, where it's super easy to land in a foreign country and have easy access, like easy transportation accommodations all set up for you. Obviously, using the translation apps on your phone, uh, there's... Google Fi, uh, a service through the Pixel phone where you have unlimited coverage 
basically anywhere you go in the world. So it's, it's as easy as flying from San Francisco to Dallas. You fly Dallas to Buenos Aires and it's easy to get around. So that's the biggest thing. Of course, you know, services like Zoom make it easier and easier and the technology will keep evolving to support that. Um, and there's huge communities online through Slack and through Facebook groups of people who live this lifestyle that you can reach out to to make connections, make friends, get advice. So there's a lot um, out there to support it. What, what are some of your favorites? Favorite resources? Yeah. I am part of a group called Nomad List through Slack, which it's, again, just people who live a nomadic lifestyle. So that's a pretty, uh, it's a paid community. I think you pay like, a, I don't know what it is now, but I think it was like $100 to originally get into the community. Um, so that's a good one. Uh, then I also will just use expat or digital nomad Facebook groups that are city specific. So if I'm going to Medellin, Colombia, I'll search expat Medellin or digital nomad Medellin. And then you can go in there and sort of peruse what's already posted, um, connect with people. I'll usually, when I arrive in a new country, write up a three, four sentence post on myself and say, Hey, if anyone's interested in meeting up while I'm here, would love to meet for a drink. And I'll usually get five to 10 people who express interest in connecting. You can do the job anywhere. So you're going to get a van now yeah. or. <laughs> I've toyed with the idea. Um, maybe someday, I don't know. It's freeing you. If you have a good, um, hotspot, you know, yeah. wi- uh, not Wi-Fi, but 5g data setup you can do it obviously tons of people have done that this year where international travel hasn't been in the cards so i don't know if i'll take the jump but it's definitely an option do you see traveling uh opening up or is zoom going to take over or what would make you do a face-to-face visit what's the parameter i do see travel starting to open up so there's more and more countries europe starting to open up a little bit i think canada will be opening again soon they haven't officially announced that yet um but yeah it's coming and for me i'm you know vaccinated i feel comfortable um traveling at this stage as long as i'm following all the protocols but yeah i think there's certain aspects while we are moving to a digital world and so much can be done virtually uh we're still human beings we need the in-person connection and I think I benefited a lot with my digital nomad lifestyle coming after I already had established relationships with my colleagues. I think starting fully remote and onboarding that way is a hard thing to do. Uh, It's difficult to build relationships in the same way as when you just have extended quality time in an office, after hours, whatever it might be. So that's one thing that's hard to replicate in a virtual environment. There's obviously things that can be done and how you set up icebreakers and team activities. But um, I think the ideal future state would be for most folks having some kind of hybrid where, you know, two, three days a week are in the office, whatever suits the individual. And companies are going to be forced to adapt to that, right? Because that's what the market, the market being us looking for jobs is demanding. And so companies will have to adjust just to be able to attract the talent they want. Drew, what, what have we forgotten about? Anything else you want to bring up? Um, let's see. Well, I mean, I could talk about location independence for days. I'd say like general advice for folks early career. Um, yeah. Some of the best advice I got is look for organizations that you can grow with. Um, so for me, being interested in the tech industry, um, 
I was looking for companies that were 100 to 300 employees in size early in my career, because when you get into a business like that, it's well established enough that you have the stability, while also being on hopefully a growth trajectory where you can move up as opportunities uh, expand and you can build out your professional network. I think a lot of people who are interested in startups go straight into trying to start their own business or working with a really, really small company. And that's something that they miss is the network and community component. Um, so for me, the equivalent example would be working at SurveyMonkey. I worked at SurveyMonkey um, early out of my uh, graduation, early yeah. after my graduation, and was able to meet a lot of interesting folks and learn a lot and grow a lot that way. Nice. I'm a fan of SurveyMonkey. I, I don't. Well. I, I don't like some of the data I get back when I put a survey <laughs> out for my show, but the, that's okay. Getting better. Well, they, yeah, they actually recently rebranded into Momentive. I think they're gonna. I I haven't had the oh, conversation really? with anyone there, but yeah, they've been building more and more enterprise applications, and I think the SurveyMonkey name perhaps uh, wasn't as representative of the professional side of what they can offer. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I'm assuming, I assume they'll keep yeah. the SurveyMonkey brand for the consumer side, but on the enterprise side, they've rebranded recently. Interesting. Okay. I got to, I got to check that out. Well, Drew, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Drew Mahorik at Outmatch Strategic Partnerships. Can we, uh, somebody's listening to the show that it could be a, a, a potential client. Uh, what do you want to tell them out there? Check out our website, outmatch.com, or uh, we just acquired Harvard, harvard.com. And you can find all kinds of information on us there. Feel free to reach out and we'd love to chat. All right. That's outmatch.com, right? Yes. Thanks for listening to the Sassholes. On behalf of Jason and Jamie, who are not here, we thank you for listening and ask you to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. We'll probably get five stars now because those two aren't here. Smash <laughs> the like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Cue the copyrighted music. <laughs> <laughs>